Get the champagne ready. The NBA Finals are here. Welcome to the NBA Finals. Let's raise our glasses and our rings to the two phenomenal teams left standing. My goodness. Here's the high stakes action to thrilling moments we can't miss. He ties the game at the buzzer. And to crowning our next champion. Here's a toast to the NBA Finals. The 2024 NBA Finals presented by YouTube TV continue on ABC. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. Risk! Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, and every Thursday, we release these special episodes that we're calling Classic Risk Singles. Each of these episodes features just one story from our earlier years. If you're new to Risk, you should know that the podcast can be very uncensored. This week, a story that was first shared on the podcast in December of 2013 by JJ. Here's JJ now with a story we call Judgment Day. So I was born and raised in Brooklyn, in um, the Bushwick, East New York section of Brooklyn. And my family was a family of immigrants. They were Jamaican. So at this time in the 70s and 80s and 90s, you know, you had a lot of immigrants in New York City in general, but you had a lot of black immigrants from the Caribbean in different parts of Brooklyn, particularly Flatbush, Crown Heights. Bushwick was another area that you had a lot of in, big influx of immigrants coming to live and you know, buying like homes and apartments, etc. So that's kind of where I was raised. This is the 1980s. This is the 80s, and crack was you know abundant in the neighborhood. It was abundant in the area. For me, um, I grew up around drugs in general because I my father hustled, and I had several other relatives who played in that space. So I knew about it. But my mom would tell me, real simply, like life is about choices. The time you take it to choose to go to a party is the time you could have been studying. The time you choose to go hang out in a corner is the time you could have been doing something else. So when something bad happens, she would always reflect back on choices that's made. And, you know, when you're young, you can sometimes you can rebound from some choices, but you can't rebound from them all. As I went to school, you know, my mother being the Jamaican woman that she is, she had a lot of pride in education. She didn't finish school, but she went to college. And for the most part, she had a blue-collar job her whole life. So... Growing up, you know, it was just her, myself, and my other sibling, and she ended up remarrying when I was about 15 to somebody else, 15, 16, but the guy she remarried, he wasn't, to me, a very stellar example of what a man should be. So that's kind of the neighborhood that I grew up in. A lot of things kids shouldn't see. A couple of people killed a few people. I could, there's a guy in my neighborhood named Shushan. He was notorious for being a bad dude. He was a robber, a drug dealer. You know, he shot a few people at the time. So he had a reputation in the neighborhood, went to jail, came back home, you know. So it was easy to fall into that mix because in that kind of neighborhood, they always looking for somebody that's young, that's tough, that got heart, that's not scared of doing certain things, you know, to put on a team with them. 
you know, because you, when you're young, you get less time, or you know, is is your perspective of risk is different than when you're an adult. You don't have children, you don't have responsibilities, so you know your your perspective of risk is is super low, and the reward for you is a lot higher, especially when you're growing up around certain things where you know your life expectancy is very young, is is not to live past 25, and you don't see a lot of wealth in your household. The people that I hanged around, you know, the majority of them, I would say, um, did not go to college. The majority of them, I would say, they went to high school, and probably high school was probably it. Every person that taught me, and I went to public school, generally looked like you. Um, when I say look like you, you were, you're white and I'm black. Everybody that went to school with me now, students, though, were generally black, Latino. So, thank God, I did very well in school, you know. High SAT score in the school's history. I was just very, I had a very good memory. I wasn't very good at doing work, but I had a good memory, so I could pretty much, um, if you would tell me something, I could pretty much retain it during test time. So when I got to college, it was a very a rude awakening because there's too much information for you to remember. I went to a small school in, in um, Connecticut called Wesleyan University. Very good academic school, but you know that first year was a rude awakening because now everybody around you is white, and everybody that goes to school with you is white, and everybody that teaches you is white. Different dynamic, right? And then you're also meeting black people now who also didn't grow up in the kind of lifestyle that you know. You know, I had to, I had to essentially learn how to study, learn how to read, and learn how to write all over again. You know, when you come from where I come from, and then you get exposed to that kind of lifestyle, when you get exposed to going to school with, like, Dustin Hoffman's daughter went to school with me, and governor of New Jersey, Christine Whitman, her daughter went to school with me. So, you know, you go into school with these people, and it's like, okay... You've seen their moms and dads picking up in like limousines or town cars at, during homecoming or whatever the case is. And you're like, wow. So you, when you get that exposure now, it's kind of like, okay, I can't. I'm not going to go back to that. I got to make something of myself. When I got out of college, I leaving college to figure out what it is I want to do with my life. And um, I decided to go work on Wall Street. And I could have got an apartment with some buddies or some friends of mine, but... My mother, you know, she lived in a brownstone in Brooklyn. It was kind of like, well, I got this big this house. My tenants are moving. Why don't you live upstairs and just pay me rent rather than give it to somebody else? So for me, it was kind of like, yeah, I know home. I could go home. It's not a big deal. At least for me, I always heard the thing about called black flight, where you would hear once your people got educated and started to make some decent living for themselves, they would never come back and return to the communities that they came from. And I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't want to be the guy that was removed from his community like I couldn't empathize with what still was going on in these urban environments and I don't I didn't want that to happen to me I still to this day don't want that to happen to me so as a result you know I decided to you know I, I can come back I'm single I could you know I, I I can this is not a big deal and some people who I, I, I won't say jealous but they don't appreciate kind of what you've accomplished to them it's not really a big deal it's like all right why you came back home so and you come back home and then, you know, you, you get back into this mentality of surviving, living for today, not for tomorrow. You get, I got, and I can't speak for everybody, but I got caught up again. Once again, you start hanging around with the same folks who, don't, who are not doing anything. They're thinking very small. So even though I was working and when I came home on the weekends, I would see some folks, because you're working as a banker, you're not really coming home. You're working 60-hour weeks, right? When you did get home, when I, that little free, free time I have, you're seeing folks and they, they talk a little bit of shit. And it's all right. Some of them did. Some of them didn't. 
But I, and I was pretty respected. You know, I had a decent amount of respect in the community that I was from. I was a, I was a good fighter when I grew up. I used to get into a lot of fights, so fist fights. People knew, you know, I would protect myself. But you still have some people who, you know, I'm going to call them haters, but a little bit of haters. One day, I happened to come home from work early. And as I was walking past that street, I happened to see some guys that I knew, like I knew pretty much all my life. They had, a couple of them was outside the car, a couple of them was inside the car talking. So they started a conversation, like, hey, what's going on, what you up to? Just shooting the shit like we normally do, because I play basketball with a lot of these guys on Sundays, so they see me in the park, you know, I mean, I still was in the community. And as we was having this conversation, you know, this guy wasn't involved in the center of attention anymore. Now, to give you some perspective on Shushan's temperament, his name was Shushan because he was real dark. And, like, I would see or hear stories of what things he would do. For example, he might see a party outside and can't get into the party and then shoot outside so he could shut the party down. He's a guy that, if you had jewelry on and you were young, he would try to rob you for your jewelry and stick you up. He had been shot multiple times. He has shot multiple people. He's been in jail several times. So at the time, I was about 24. This guy's probably like 34, 35. So about 10 years older than me. But his reputation was that of someone who, you know, was a very dangerous person. He told me to shut up first. This was what the call. He told me to shut up. I was like, what are, you, what are you doing over here? Why don't you go? You don't belong over here. That was the exact word. You don't belong over here. What are you doing over here? I looked at him. And I'm like, what? I'm like, you my father. I can do, do what I want. I'm a grown man. You a grown man. Like, I ain't talking to you. Mind your business. And his friends start laughing at him in the car. Once his friends start laughing at him, you know, I think he, he was offended. He was like, yo, you know what I do to you? You know, you know what I, you know, I hurt you. And I looked at him. I'm like, so come do it then. Since you, you're just a big and bad person, like, I'm not scared of you. I know what you're capable of, but that doesn't mean that I can't do the same thing. I'm not scared of you. So he comes to the car. He, he like reached as if he had like a weapon. So I, I had a bag because I would always carry around my laptop computer with me. The bag that I was carrying at the time, I dropped it on the floor. And I looked around. I was like, okay, what, you got a knife or something? And he didn't have a knife. He was just trying to scare me initially. But then he approached me and he swung at me. When he swung at me, I, I boxed. So I knew, my immediate instinct was to, to fight back. And I, you know, I, I hit him a few times. And as I was getting the best of him, he said, open the trunk, open the trunk. As if he was going to get his gun. That's when I realized, okay, this is not a game anymore. But I was so upset because, you know, I hadn't been around that level of, like, intensity in a very, very long time. So I ran. I ran from the street that I was on. He, when we were talking, we are talking on pretty much on the corner of a block that I lived on. So I had to run around them and I ran to my house. Now, growing up, I always kept a gun in my house. I've owned a gun since I was 16 years old. I own a 9mm legally since I was 16 years old. I never had to use it. I've always had it, and I shot it a few times, and you know, but never at anybody. But in my kind of neighborhood, you got to make sure you always have something like that because you always hear stories of folks' houses getting broken into. Or, so this is the time I have to go use it. So I went to my house, dropped my bags, and the level, I was so angry that I pretty much forgot about everything that I, that I had going for me. And I began thinking about, okay, how am I going to get away with this murder that I'm about to commit? I got the gun. I got some black gloves, and I ran outside. And it was about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, late August, broad daylight. So when I ran down the street with the gun in my hand from my house, I was headed back toward where the car was. 
And he had to see me. He didn't have no choice because he was there. Where he was there, he knew I was going to come back because that's what people like me do. And that's what people like him do. They come back because that's what you know. So when Peyton told me to come up with a gun and he ran toward me, he knew already that, okay, this is going to be a real ugly situation real, real quick and ran in front of the gun. Peyton is a good friend of my, actually, he's a brother, older brother of one of my friends that I grew up with. And Peyton also sold drugs out of state, sold drugs in New York. Um, he had been to jail for a couple of times, but, but I grew up with Peyton a lot. So I know him very well to the point that, like, you know, I, 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 we would play basketball together. I talk shit to him, he talk shit to me. And he said, don't do it, don't do it. You're going to lose too much. Don't do it. It ain't worth it. And as I was shaking with the gun in my hand, I told him to move. I said, Peyton, move out the way, move out the way. And he wouldn't move. He said, don't do it. Don't do it. He ain't worth it. You're going to shoot him or he's going to shoot you. Like, you ain't worth it. You don't really want to do this. And he didn't believe I was going to shoot him. So he moved out the way. He's like, you're not going to do it. And I started to point the gun and I was going to press the trick. He said, no, no, no. And he grabbed my hand and I pushed him away and he grabbed my hand again. And I hit him. I was going to shoot him. He's like, you really don't want to do this. If you do this, just recognize there's no coming back from this. You don't want to be like this. This is not you. And he grabbed my hand and I saw people look at me, look on the street. And he pushed my hand down. And I was furious because I was real, real close to shooting him. And I felt like I should have still shot him anyway. And I didn't do it. And he, and he walked me back to my house. He was like, Joe, go, go in the house. Go in the house. Put the gun away. Go in the house. And I went in the house. And I went, upstairs, I went to my roof. And I looked on the roof. And I was like, okay, where can I hide the gun just in case somebody calls the cops? And I hid the gun. And I came back downstairs. And I stayed in my house that night. And I was furious because I was real, real close to shooting him. And I felt like I should have still shot him anyway. I was probably more upset about that for the first three hours that I was in the house. I was probably more upset that he didn't let me do it. Then, after that phase of rage, I was in a state of shock. Like, wow, I almost, I almost shot somebody. And I would have been in jail right now. Or I would have to figure out, like, put the gun on him and think through the rationale of how I got away with this. And I prayed to God. And I said, God, I got to make some choices because if this is going to happen to me when I'm in this community and I need to leave at this point. And lo and behold, a month later, uh, I went to a seminar about business school and I ended up applying to grad school. I applied to Harvard Business School and I got in and I left subsequently the next year. We live in a society where a lot of men, they only have pride. And pride is a dangerous thing. It's important to have pride, pride in your work, pride on how you carry yourself. But on the flip side, that pride can also get you in trouble. And a lot of people right now are in jail because of pride. In the community where I live, once again, right, you can't be, could be considered quote unquote soft because then things will consistently happen to you. Right? It's almost like getting bullied. You can't get bullied. Because when the first time you get bullied, then everybody's going to try to bully you, no matter what age you are. And even now, as an older man, sometimes now I could probably let things pass because I'm a little bit more seasoned, I'm a little bit more mature. But at that particular time, 23, 24, you still live in the mentality, even with a college education, that it can happen. It can happen, and I could lose all of this in a split second.
That is all for this week's Classic Risk Singles episode. Now, don't miss out on our regular full-length episodes. There's a brand new one every Tuesday. And everything you might want to know about us is at risk-show.com.